are you, are you really willing to wait on God? You know what they say, don't, don't ever pray for patience or ask somebody to pray for patience for you. But, but as we sing a song, you know, waiting here for you, God, I'm waiting. Are you really willing to wait on God? We'll see. Um, <laughs> Uh, Hey, go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 24. We're in week six of our series called Unwavering, and we're going to be talking today about when God says wait. When God says wait. As you're turning there, uh, about a couple of months ago, a month and a half or so, I think, uh, and I went to pick up Maddie from the airport. She was coming back from her summer trip, uh, her summer missions uh, experience in Colorado, and she was getting getting in to the Tucson airport around 11 o'clock at night. Was that right? No, midnight? No, you got in around midnight. Whatever. It's my story. Let me just, yeah. It's either 11 or It was late. And so I get there, and, you know, there's nothing going on at the Tucson airport around midnight. You know, it's pretty empty. And, um, you know, around 12.15, I get a text from her that says, okay, our plane has landed, uh, but we can't get off. We can't get to a gate for some reason. Not sure why. It's like, okay. And I'm talking to some other people who are there waiting, and another 15 minutes or so goes by, and we find out that what's happened is there's, uh, there's been a bad weather in Phoenix, and so they've diverted a couple of flights from Phoenix to Tucson, and apparently, you know, there's only about five people working on a Friday night at midnight, and that took up all the ground crew efforts, you know, for the next hour or so, you know, refueling those planes you know, getting them some more peanuts, whatever they had to do so they could send them on to Phoenix. And so Maddie and the rest of, uh, of the people on the flight were just stuck on that plane waiting for a gate to open up, and they, and they couldn't do anything. They couldn't go anywhere. They were just stuck there. Like, we're here, and we want to be there, but we can't go anywhere. And what's worse is I was stuck, waiting. Like, apparently, it's not the loving dad thing to say, well, just download the Uber app and get them to drive you out to Corona de Tucson at one in the morning. Bridget was not on board with that plan. But seriously, you know, that we find ourselves in those kind of situations sometimes, don't we? We find ourselves in, in situations where, you know, we're, we're, we're stuck. You know, that was, that was Paul's story. He was, he was stuck in Caesarea for... A couple of years, and sometimes we find ourselves in those situations where, you know, I'm here, I believe God wants to take me there, but for right now, I'm, I'm just stalled. I'm waiting, and I can't really do anything about it. And that was Paul's story in Acts chapter 24. Jesus had told him, you're going to go to Rome, you're going to preach the gospel, you're going to go to where you've always wanted to be. But, but shortly after that, Paul only makes it about 60 or 70 miles down the road, and he gets stuck in, in Caesarea. He has to wait. And what I love about this story that we're going to read is rather than make his own way out, rather than push on and, and get to Rome like Jesus said he was going to get to do, Paul remains faithful. He remains faithful to God. He remains faithful to where God has him, and he waits on God to move things Forward. And what I hope we see today is that waiting, while sometimes unpleasant, might be exactly what God has for us. It might be exactly what God wants for us, so that he can use us where we are, or so that he can prepare us for where he's taking us. We're going to read uh, in just a moment 
in starting in verse 22, I'm going to sum up the first part of chapter uh, 24. Basically, what's going on in 24 is that Paul's a prisoner. He's in protective custody in Caesarea, uh, and the Jewish leaders have come from Jerusalem to Caesarea to present their case to Felix, the governor. Uh, pretty much everything they say about Paul is a lie. They say he's a troublemaker, that he's the leader of a cult, that he desecrated the temple. All of those are just flat-out lies. And then Paul gets to make his defense, and he just simply defends himself with the truth. And he points out that none of their accusations are true. None of them can be proven. Not even the people who raised a fuss about him to begin with, they're not even there to accuse him. And like he does in so many other settings, Paul uses the opportunity to move the focus off of himself and onto Jesus. Paul uses this opportunity to point people to Jesus. And so that takes us to verse 22. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 22. It says, at that point, Felix, who is quite familiar with the way, and you guys remember that the way is the other name for the Christian movement, the uh, church in Jerusalem, uh, quite, quite familiar with the way, adjourned the hearing and said, wait until Lysias, the garrison commander, arrives, then I will decide the case. And he, or he ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him some freedom and allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. frightened. Go, away from, go away for now, he replied. When it's more convenient, I'll call for you again. And he hoped that Paul would bribe him, so he sent for him quite often and talked with him. Well, after two years went by in this way, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. All right, so like I said earlier, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we feel stuck. Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we know there's something better down the road, but we're stuck where we are for a while. What do we do in those seasons? What do we do when God says, wait. Well, if you're following along in your outline, point number one is this, go with what you know. When you're, when you're in a season of waiting, when you're in a season where God says, wait, go with what you know. Don't go with what you feel. Don't go with what you think. Don't go with what you'd prefer. Go with what you would know. Sometimes when we feel stalled out, we wonder what we're supposed to do until you know what to do, until God tells you what's next, Go with what you know. That's what Paul does here. He's stuck. He's stuck in Caesarea for a couple of years. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to fulfill his life stream of getting to Rome and meeting with the church there and proclaiming the gospel there. But he's stuck here. So what does he do? He keeps on meeting with Felix. Now, granted, Felix just wanted to meet with him. So, you know, maybe Paul would bribe him and get away out. But Paul's like, why would I do that? I've got an audience with a dude here, you know, that he just keeps wanting to meet with me. He kept having conversations with him. And this is what Paul's been doing all along in his ministry. You know, God said that Paul was going to do this way back in Acts chapter 9. If you look at Acts 9, 15 and 16, this is uh, what Jesus says uh, to Ananias about Paul and about his calling. He says, but the Lord said, go for Saul, who later is known as Paul, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings or rulers, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he has to suffer 
for my name's sake. God's Paul, I mean, God's plan for Paul, his call in his life was to take the gospel to people who hadn't heard about Jesus, to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and to take the gospel to leaders and rulers and kings. And, and you know, Paul may have been stuck in Caesarea, but he's stuck in the palace in Caesarea. He may have been stuck there for two years, but he's stuck there with the governor for two years, getting to meet with them over and over and over. He's, he has a regular audience with him. And so Paul keeps doing what Jesus said that he had called him to do, presenting the gospel. I love what Mike Blackaby says about this. He says, do what you know to do until you know what to do. Do what you know what to do. Do, do what you know to do until you know what to do. In other words, when you feel like you're in a season of waiting, just keep doing what you know God has told you to do. Just go back to your last set of instructions, the last thing that you know God told you to do. Let me ask you a question. What's the last thing God told you to do? What's the last clear set of instructions that you received from the Lord? What's the last thing that you can remember? God said, do this. If you, if you can remember what that is, then you just, you just do that. If you can't remember what that is, then this might be a good time for you to get back into God's Word and get back into spending time with Him daily and and to get back into that relationship so that you can hear from Him clearly and you can find out what is it that that I am supposed to be doing next or what is it that you asked me to do that I haven't been doing and I need to get back to doing. What is it that God's told you to do? What's the last thing you're certain God's told you to do? Second thing under this, you know, do what you know to do, you know, go with what you know. The second thing under this is to be faithful where you are. You know, until God gives you clear instruction that he's moving you somewhere else, that he's doing someone else, just be faithful where you are. Be faithful serving where you are. Be faithful living where you're living. Be faithful being a witness at work or at school or on your team, or in your neighborhood, or whatever club you're a part of, or hobby, or interest, or whatever, be faithful where you are. So that's the first thing we do when, when God says wait, is we, we go with what we know, and what we know is the truth. Not what we feel, not with our gut, not what we want. We go with what we know. We go with truth, with what God's told us to do. Another reason that God might uh, have us in a season of waiting is that it may be a time of preparation, which brings us to point number two, which is to be attentive to where God is working on you. When you find yourself in a season of waiting, when you find yourself where, where it feels like God's hit the pause button on your life, be attentive to where God is working on you. You know, so many times we get our, we get our eyes on other people, you know? So many times we listen to sermons and we think, boy, I wish so-and-so was here for that. How many of y'all ever felt that way? God's probably talking to you right then, and you're like, you know, boy, I wish they were here. And God's like, well, you're here, and you need to listen, you know. Be attentive to where God's working on you. What is it that he wants uh, to do in you and, and with you? And, and one reason that God may have us in a, in a season of waiting is he's got some work that he wants to do on us before he moves us on to whatever the next thing is, the next place, the next ministry, whatever it is. Listen again to verse 27. It says, after two years went by this way, after two years went by this way, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jews, with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. Paul was stuck in Caesarea, right there in in Judea for two years. He's going to Rome. 
all right? He makes it to Rome. Spoiler alert, by the end of Acts, he gets to Rome, okay? Let me just, you know, get you to that part of the story. But when he gets to Rome, I want you to see what happens. Let's look at, let's look, let's look at Acts 28. This is, the last, this is the last chapter in Acts. These are the last few verses in Acts, actually. Acts chapter 28, verse 16, and then in verse uh, 30 and 31, it says, this is Luke writing about what happened. He says, when we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. So is he free? No. For the next how long? How long? How long was he in Caesarea? All right. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Other translations say this went on unhindered. I love this. Paul makes it to Rome. He makes it to where he's always wanted to go. He makes it to where his his heart's desire was, to where Jesus said he's going to get there. But when he gets there, his situation is very similar to to what he finds himself in here in Caesarea. I, I think it's very possible that this time in Caesarea could have been a time of preparation for Paul. Chuck Swindoll says that Paul had to learn to surrender to his powerless situation. And he goes on to say that we could learn a lot from Paul. One thing we could learn from Paul is this. Get this down in your outline. Refuse to wrestle and learn to rest. When you find yourself in a season of waiting, refuse to wrestle and learn to rest. Here's what Chuck Swindoll says about wrestling. He says, when we wrestle, in other words, when we fight against our situation, when we fight against God, when we fight against his plan, when we try to do our own will, our own way, When we wrestle, we talk much and pray little. When we wrestle, we panic rather than trust. When we wrestle, we think about our way, our rights, our plans, our well-being. And what we may need to learn to do is to rest in the Lord. To learn to rest in His timing. It may be, here's your next thing in your outline, it may be that God has you in a season of waiting so that you can learn that he's enough. That's not in your outline. Scratch that. Sorry. <laughs> See, I've got it underlined here, and sometimes I think you have it underlined there. <laughs> it may be that God has you in a season of waiting so that you can learn that he's enough, and that if you have him, you have all you need. Let me tell you a story that I think illustrates this well. About, a, about, about three years ago, um, my son-in-law, uh, Adam Ramirez, uh, just had his heart set on moving to Portland. Um, he wanted to get away from Tucson because Tucson's hot, brown, and dry. Um, and Portland, he'd been there to visit friends, and it's you know cool, green, and wet. It's everything that you know. Everything that Portland was was like the opposite of what of what Tucson is to him. And uh, you know, he just and, and for a while he just really wanted to move there. The problem is, you know, God didn't move him there. He wanted to find a church up there that he could go serve, but God didn't open that up. Uh, He wanted to go lead worship up there, but God didn't do that. At the same time, Morgan, our daughter, had a very opposite feeling. She was very resistant to leaving Tucson. You know, this is home. This is where I've lived since I was nine years old. This is where family is. This is where I've grown up, you know. I I don't want to go somewhere else. So over the next couple, two or three years, each of them just allowed God to work on their hearts. 
Aram got to the place where, where he became content here in Tucson. More importantly, he became content with God. God, if this is where you have me, even though I'd rather be somewhere else, what's more important is I'd rather be with you. And so he learned to love where God has him and to, be, and to, and to get back to loving the, the people where God had him. During that same time, God was working on Morgan's heart. He got her to the place of saying, I just want to be where you are. I just want to serve you where you want me to serve you. And if you want to move us, then I'm okay with you moving us. Well, I tell you all this because in a couple of weeks, Morgan and Aram are moving to Hillsboro, Oregon, a suburb of Portland. Stop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's accepted a position as the high school pastor at a really good church up there. And... Um, it all happened because, because they waited on God. Had they, had, they, had they tried to make a move in their own timing, in their own ways, they might have been able to move up there, but they'd have been miserable. They'd have been out of God's will. Now, because they waited on the Lord, because they let the Lord work on their hearts, they spent this time of preparation for what's coming. They're now entering into a new and amazing season in their lives. And Bridget and I could not be happier for them. I've been praying for a couple of months. Lord, I've been praying Luke 10 too, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Send more workers out into the harvest field. If you think Tucson's lost, Portland is, is way worse lost than we are. And, and so when I pray, Lord, send more people into the mission field, I can't say send people, but not my people. Send people, but not my kids. Right? So we're excited for them that God is sending them. Yes, we're going to miss them. Yes, we're going to uh, go visit and, and all that. But we're excited. Here's the deal. Here's the outline, or here's the blank I thought I was giving you, but I forgot to give you. God may not change where you are until you let him change who you are. God may not change where you are until you let him change who you are. This may be a season of preparation so that God can get you ready for what's coming. Number one, go with what you know. Number two, look at where God is, is working on you. And then the final thing, number three, as we're in, when we find ourselves in a season of waiting, when, we, when God says, hold on just a minute, you're not going anywhere. Number three, point people to Jesus where God has you. Point people to Jesus where God has you. Look for opportunities to share the gospel and to point people to Jesus right here where you are until God moves you to where he's going to take you. You know, Paul, in this story, Paul rarely misses a chance to point people to Jesus. We didn't read Acts uh, 24, 21, but in that verse, Paul, in his defense, he speaks up again about the resurrection of Jesus. I love what Noah, Noah and I talk about the passage each week. And here's what Noah said. He says, Paul is defending himself, but can't extricate the gospel message from himself. I had to look up extricate. Uh, it means remove. Uh, but <laughs> it's big, you know, young guys, big fancy words. But, but it's true. Paul can't get the gospel out of him, you know. He, he, he can't get away from the gospel. Wherever he is, he's going to point people to Jesus. 
Then later on in verse 24 to 26, Paul gets another chance to talk to Felix and then a bunch of other chances. Listen again to what he does. It says, a few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish and sending for Paul. They listened to him as he told about the faith in Christ Jesus and as he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment. Felix became frightened. Go away for now, he replied. When it's more convenient, I'll call for you again. And he had hoped that Paul would bribe him, so he sent for him quite often and talked with him. Tony Evans says that Felix was somebody who was well-informed about Christianity. He was apparently uh, interested in religious matters. But when the conversation turned to his own sins and his own accountability before God, he became afraid. Guys, some people are okay with learning about God. Some people are okay with knowing about God. But when it comes to the idea of them facing God, when it comes to the idea when they're confronted with the fact that one day they're going to have to stand before God, held accountable for their lives, held accountable for their sins, that's another matter. And that's why we have to point people to Jesus every opportunity we get. People are afraid of dying. People are afraid of facing judgment. They're going to stand before God and they're going to ask, if there's never been a time in their life where they placed their faith in Jesus to save them, they're going to, they're going to stand before God and as, they're, as they are, they're going to wonder, am I good enough? Did I do enough? Was I kind enough? Did I, did, I, did I help enough people out? Did my good deeds somehow outweigh my bad deeds and is that going to cut it? what people need to hear from me and from you, if you're a Jesus follower, if there's been a time in your life where you have placed your faith in Jesus to save your sins, save you from your sins, to forgive you, if that's happened in your life, then what they need to hear from me and you is that all you have to do is place your faith in Christ, that Jesus has already done it all, that he's paid the price, that it's not about you being good enough, it's not about you stopping the bad stuff and, and starting to do more good stuff, it's just about trusting in Jesus. It's about hoping in him and that you don't have to be afraid when you die. Listen, I'm not hoping in me. You better not be hoping in you. Our only hope is Jesus. He is our only hope for salvation. He is our only hope for eternity. He is our only hope for peace. Believing that he is the son of God, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, that God raised him back to life, and that by placing our faith in Jesus, we can be saved. That's our only hope. And that's what people need to hear. God might just have you where he has you so that you can point people to Jesus so that they don't have to fear death, so that they don't have to fear God. Instead, so that they can begin a relationship with God through faith in Jesus and have peace for eternity and peace right now. So look for opportunities to share the gospel where you are. It may be that that's why God's got you there. It's because there's people around you who still need to hear about Jesus. As we move into a response time, let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you, are you willing to stay where God has you so that he can use you to point people to Jesus? Are you willing to, like, like, like Jesus said about Paul, said, I'm going to show you how much you're going to have to suffer. Are you willing to say, Lord, I will stay here so that you can use me to reach them? 
Maybe the question for you today is, am I willing to see this season of waiting as a, as a time of preparation? Am I willing to see this season of waiting as a time for God to work on me? Maybe the question for you is, am I willing for you to use me? And do I need to get back into a right relationship with you so that you can do that? If you're a believer, that, maybe that means that you get back into having a daily quiet time. You get back into praying. You get back into uh, spending time with God, with God's word, with God's people. Maybe for you it means that you begin a relationship with God by placing your faith in Jesus today. You can do that today. Will you pray with me?